Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Ken Perlman. The Ken Perlman. I somehow convinced Ken Perlman to play some banjo duets with me in front of people. <laughs> I know, I, I'm still having trouble believing it. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Ken's work, he's one of the greatest modern pioneers of melodic clawhammer banjo. He's known for doing things with the instrument and technique that are still widely roped off from clawhammer banjo players. For example, he's got to be the only person I've ever seen clawhammer a jig. Actually, after we recorded this, he performed a solo set where he played multiple key-changing medleys of jigs. It was incredible. We don't play any jigs together, though. Thank God. (laughs) But if you stick around after the interview, I will include a jig medley from Ken's newest CD, Frails and Frolics, and tell you where you can go to buy it and check out all of Ken's other projects. Also, I'll tell you how to get access to this week's bonus track, our banjo duet of Jerusalem Ridge. Oh, and thanks again to Hamlin Street Diner in D.C. and everyone who came and packed the house. We had a blast as always. Let's get started. Here's my interview and jam with Ken Perlman. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Ken Perlman, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Well, it's very nice to be here. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me to your show so that I can interview. <laughs> this is very this rare. Back, this could go back and forth yes. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then you okay. think, yeah. Uh, so, what's the name of that tune? Where'd you get that? That's uh, Billy in the Low Lands, and not Billy in the Low Ground. Yes. Very different. Very different. Take notes. And uh, that's a tune that uh, I I learned from Alan Jabour, who learned it from the great uh, Henry Reed of, of uh, Glenlyn, Virginia. And Alan and I um, formed together nearly 15 years, and he passed away about a year ago, and we had a, a, a legacy event for him at the Library of Congress. That's why I'm in town. Yeah. And it was wonderful. We had about uh, um, two to three hundred people were there, um, yeah. and they had to keep bringing in chairs. And, and uh, after the presentations, we had a jam session with about 50 people. And uh, one thing to remember about Alan is that he, it was his uh, collecting and uh, original group of uh, cohorts, the Hollow Rock String Band, that really started the old-time music um, revival. Mm. Got all these people jamming, and so... Uh, so it was, it was great to see all, all these people who know the tunes that he collected and were just playing up a storm. You know, they had to kick us out at the yeah. at, <laughs> and then we could have gone on another two or three hours. So. Well, Alan has the, makes the image of the, uh, the image of the hourglass. He uses the image of the hourglass. How do you mean? Well, at first, when when the I haven't uh, heard this metaphor, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. When 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 the uh, uh, well, he uses it for a particular song, let's say, but it also applies to a whole tradition. At first, there's many many roots fiddlers yes. and, and 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 people who know all of these tunes, and uh, and the scenes, uh, the old all, the traditional old time fiddling scene in North America began declining as as far back as the 1920s and, yeah. and, and you have all kinds of movement uh, things going on to re revive interests like the square dance movement and Henry Ford sponsoring fiddle contests uh, back in the, even as far as the 1920s uh, so by the 1960s there were just you know just not many left yeah. and so you know the hour the hourglass has narrowed and, and there's just a few grains of sand left to come through the center of the hourglass and uh, so the Alan was lucky enough to come along just as and and there's some other people at that time the ones who went to Round Peak and yes. left them yeah so but but you know the Round Peak people were in a way more uh, modern than than Henry Reed was in the mm. approach because they had kind of fiddle banjo thing developed and Henry Reed was you know basically uh, he was a dance fiddler. Yes. Yeah. So, anyway, so and it was not a performance medium. So anyway, so Alan was one of those people who came along and captured the grains of sand as they're going through that. Yeah. And then it, and then it spreads again. And, I'm always curious, like yeah. for 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 him, was he like precious about it? Like in when he would do a tune, would he try to keep it just the way it was? 
Would he let it develop? Like, I know that you... Are you talking about Alan? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, he... And not Henry, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, um, he um, kept the spirit and the um, essence of the tune. Uh, and I, I won't say that he embellished them, but he made, in some cases, made them richer. Or, yes. Uh, and, and as he went through life, his take on the music changed and the, the, uh, the phrasing became more, uh, you know, delicately uh, constructed and... Uh, you know, the the, the, the the spirit became more uh, Alan and, and less Henry Reed, but that's true of, of any tr any traditional, any musician, yeah. that, that as they go through life, their music becomes more yeah. more theirs. And that uh, celebration was just, was it just this last weekend? It was just on a Thursday, and we, we, were, Thursday. we were worried that the government shutdown was going to. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we just got in under the wire. Good. <laughs> Um, let's get to, let's get to D real quick. We'll play yeah. this full down the sheets. And yeah. Then I have a lot more questions for you. Now this is a, a West Virginia tune called "Folding Down the Sheets," and uh, there are many versions of this. And uh, uh, a, fr a friend of mine, a, a great, uh, he's a fourth generation West Virginia fiddler named Bobby Taylor, and a founder of the, the Clifftop Festival. Um, Thanks, he, Bobby. Yeah, really. <laughs> so he, he took uh, a couple of different versions and kind of, um, you know, created a, a, a really uh, beautiful, dense, melodically dense version of, of the tune. And uh, one of the fiddlers whose versions he borrowed from was a guy named Franklin George. And Franklin is a, still living. He's a real character. And... Uh, Bobby played this tune at a fiddle contest, and afterwards, um, as he was walking by, Franklin grabbed him and said, Bobby, I see you filled in all the holes. <laughs>
All the holes filled right up. <laughs> um, so, I'm allowed to ask you about uh, melodic claw hammer banjo uh-huh. uh, as a tradition, I guess a somewhat new tradition. Um, I mm. got my entrance into traditional music was, I was telling you earlier, the, the melodic claw hammer record, like the sort of mixtape of. Um, you and Bob Carlin and Andy Kahn and Henry Sapoznik. Sapoznik, yeah. yeah. Um, all 1976. Plays. Yeah. Fantastic record. That's what made me, first inspire me to get out of whatever I was doing back then and start playing traditional music. Even though that was, I guess, in a way, sort of a departure from like what banjo used to do. I was wondering if you could like, um, yeah, shed some light on how did melodic clawhammer banjo like become to be... A thing? A thing. A thing. <laughs> wow. Well, um, uh, well, I'll start with my own experience and, and then kind of uh, extrapolate things that I learned later. That sounds reasonable. Okay. <clears throat> so my own experience is uh, I started playing banjo in uh, Ithaca, New York. And this is a place where um, it, for some reason, became a hotbed of this particular style of banjo playing and um, with different takes. I mean, so you have Walt Koch in there from the Highwood String Band, and Howie Burson, do you, you know Howie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Howie Burson, uh, and a few other people, uh, and people, you know, everybody was playing kind of a melodic or semi-melodic style of claw hammer, and uh, when I picked up the instrument, this is what attracted me to it, as it yeah. attracted you. And I immediately, I had been playing guitar, so I had the left hand already and a certain amount of the right hand coordination. So immediately this is what I wanted to play. And uh, it was called melodic, nobody knew what to call it at first, but it it became, it was Bob Carlin who coined the term melodic claw hammer when we did that record. And it was... uh, by association with uh, melodic banjo, which is the style that Bill Keith had created. And for three finger. For right? three finger. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So he created created for three for bluegrass banjo, and, and in a way it, it's apt because uh, just as Bill Keith took the traditional Scruggs Earl Scruggs yes. roles and adapted them to fiddle tunes, so melodic clawhammer took all the traditional. Uh, so-called traditional yes. uh, banjo techniques, or at least the ones that were floating around at the time, yep. and they used them to play full melodies. And it was called melodic at that time in, up in uh, contrast to um, kind of the style of frailing um, claw hammer, or whatever you want to call it, that was floating around the folk scene at that time, which was mostly chordal. Yes. People were mostly using it for, you know, strict accompaniment, and, and people were not playing melody at all. So this was considered a big thing. Now, afterwards, um, as right around the time that the melodic claw hammer thing came out, there, uh, people were really starting to get into the round peak style yes. of banjo playing. Uh, which I had never heard until I had already established my playing style. So they began getting into that style, which was, you know, as uh, Art Rosenbaum, there was a great player named Art Rosenbaum that some of you may have heard of. So Art said, well, actually, 
the round peak style was a lot more melodic than some of the other claw hammer styles that were floating around. But anyway, so it was somewhat melodic, somewhat rhythmic, and it was very kind of stylized. Yes. And this is, you know, so people got into that, and then they kind of took uh, elements of that, and that kind of evolved into something called festival style, mm. which was um, really, uh, I would call it the hunt and peck claw hammer, where you have the, the fiddler carrying the melody, and uh, the banjo players are kind of hunting around and looking for aspects of the tune that they can kind of grab. Yes. And then over time, they kind of, de- that coalesces into a version of the tune. Yes. Yeah. You outline the yeah. melody, but don't get right. every single note. Right, right. And, and, but sometimes you could li- listen to those tunes on their own and not have any idea what the original tune was, right. unless the fiddler was, was also playing. It takes a banjo player who plays in that style to sort of have like a, you have to be actually like really, it's like philosophical to like figure out how to like, without making this very yeah. arranged version of the banjo yeah. technique, like how do you outline this melody in a way that makes it recognizable? Right, you know? right. But it's not really a solo style. Now there are some people yeah. who are masters at um, playing this uh, you know quasi round peak style and making the fiddle sound wonderful and and you don't know that you have no idea that they're leaving out any notes at all yes. because you know they and uh, you know one person I met recently who does this to perfection is uh, Steve Arkin I don't know yeah. run yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so Steve does a, gr- a great job with that but uh, but uh, but in terms of the history of of the melodic approach it you know, really, uh, after I had kind of messed around with it and thought I had created all these new approaches and techniques, you know, because, yes. you know, you keep pushing out the boundaries. Oh, I'll try this, I'll try that. I'm going to adapt this technique, that technique. And and then uh, somebody sent me some sheet music uh, from the minstrel era. Yes. And I said, oh, my God, they were doing this 150. <laughs> <laughs> they were doing nearly all this stuff 150 years ago. Yeah. And it was called uh, minstrel minstrel banjo yeah so the, this evolved before they had fingerstyle banjo and and they were uh you know they were very adventurous about the things that they were doing so yeah. so really melodic clawhammer in my view is uh, kind of in 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 the line of minstrel banjo yes. separated by many generations you know yeah. in, in the theory that uh, uh you know humans given a similar set of logistical problems yes. will come up with similar solutions <laughs> yes. in different eras just because th- those are the sensible solutions. Um, now there's this also, you know, people also forget that the, the person who introduced claw hammer in, or frailing, whatever you want to call it, into the old time scene uh, was uh, um, Stu Jameson, um, who um, you know, he was a uh, contemporary and fan of Pete Seeger and, you know, Pete didn't really, you know, he brought back a lot of different banjo styles, but not Clawhammer. Mm-hmm. So it was Stu who brought it in from a player in Kentucky named Rufus Crisp. And that line, you know, he taught a lot of people in New York, and that line of people played sort of a quasi-melodic style through the 40s and 50s. And it was the, that line of playing that the people I learned from were kind of coming out of. Yeah. So. Um, let's play another tune, but yeah, um, better, I have better. a yeah, uh, all the more questions. I'm really curious about the like 
A lot of people have expectations that they put on banjo players, like what you're supposed to do as a banjo player. And I have a lot of questions for you and your experience playing with different styles of musicians. So we're going to play uh, uh, Squirrel Hunters. This is a tune that uh, John Hartford, the famous John Hartford, found in a book called uh, March to the Fiddle, no, March, uh, Dance to the Fiddle, March to the Fife, Pennsylvania Folk Tunes. This is a Pennsylvania tune? This is a Pennsylvania tune. I had no idea. And, um, and, and there were five versions in the book, and he improved on all of them. <laughs> he changed a few notes. This is what a great fiddler will do. Uh, and so, the, and so anyway, he popularized this, and and all these stories grew up about how the squirrel hunters were, you know, gorilla uh, so during the Civil War, and uh -huh. the, you know, so it's all you know fo uh, fake news, fake news, <laughs> <laughs> fake folklore. Yeah.
I feel like that tune's way more interesting than most Pennsylvania tunes I've heard. I love Pennsylvania tunes. Yeah, well, I don't actually... Maybe it was John's fault that he... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't know a lot of Pennsylvania tunes, but, uh, but from judging by the book, um, you know, Pennsylvania was tied into the whole nor northern fiddle tradition yes. that stretched out to from New England out to Ohio, and and most of that, you know, kind of faded away before um, the you know the Appalachian yes. folk revival came along. So so they probably uh, like this tune is very similar to uh, a tune in the Celtic tradition, Pigeon on the Gate. You know, and there. Were, a bunch of versions of that, but certainly the the a, it's very similar to the A version. Yeah. So it's, it's it's really, you know, don't tell any of your old time friends, but it, but it's actually a Celtic tune in, <laughs> in almost every respect. Um, so I'm curious, as a melodic clarinet banjo player, have you ever run into situations Probably. where fiddlers? <laughs> <laughs> open-ended question. Have you ever run into uh, situations where a fiddler wants you to be less melodic? Oh, sure. Well, yeah. yeah. I don't have to name no, names. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but, but also another thing that happens is um, there are certain, there's a certain etiquette that's grown up, and like a banjo player is not supposed to start a tune. Have you noticed this? So, uh, I start yeah, well, yeah, well, I, ignore, I, I ignore it too, but, but uh, you know, I, I can tell you some stories, but, but, uh, but oh, sure, yeah, but, um, and, um, I, I mean, I, I like to make a distinction between uh, lead, lead harmony and backup, and I, yes. I, I see that you do as well, um, but, you know, in the, um, probably the, you know the the most populated part of the of the old time banjo scene. People just do the same thing yes. all the time. So, which is sort of a quasi version of the melody. So, uh, so uh, you know, I like to play uh, backup and, and melody and um, partial melody and partial chords yeah. and and you know I, I like to kind of mess around and never do the same thing twice. And, and uh, you know, when I played with Alan Jabour, it was ideal because he liked that. You know? Very cool. So, and we had a whole, we'd always have a whole rout routine uh, for every tune, you know, so every time through there was a different thing going on. Very cool. So. Yeah, I'm always really, like, curious about that because there's, you know, the, like, age-old issue of progressive versus traditional. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's a false dichotomy because uh, I just, hmm, how do I say this without giving any names? I just had a musical experience with two people. One of them is from Alabama, extremely adventurous. And one of them was uh, not, not from anywhere associated with this music and is very, very strict and yes. Um, go, go on. I don't want to yeah, go, yeah. go on and so, finish your story. But. Uh, I was like, are you like trying yeah. to think about who this could be? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, no, no uh, it, it wouldn't be more yeah. just one person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, it happens all the time. But they were, uh, they were a couple, actually. And uh, ah. I thought it was really interesting how uh, precious the, the non-Appalachian person was about the rules about the music. Um, 
But uh, this man from Alabama is like a, a tune writer and a songwriter. And when he would, you know, back up tunes, he would do different chords every single time. And uh, he, I think his idea of what the tradition was is it's this living thing. Um, it's not an archive. It's a, it's a thing we're doing right now. We're making a tradition. Right. And uh, it's always interesting to watch people wrestle with that, with this idea of, you know, I want to preserve something because there's cool stuff to preserve, but I also have some cool ideas that I want to try out. And uh, I often, I feel, as a, as a melodic climber player, I feel kind of like stuck in between sometimes, you know. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, needle thread. Yeah. No, the, um, no, I mean, you're, I think you've pretty much hit the nail nail on the head that's not the head on the nail but <laughs> although sometimes it feels that way yeah. but um, no uh, I, I found quite quite often that uh, the farther away you get from uh, the place of origin the music yeah. uh, the more certain people are about what the music was Man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so this is a thing yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so somebody who grew up in, in North Carolina, surrounded by this music, and of course there's fewer and fewer of those because the, the actual, we were talking about this before, the, you know, the roots musicians were, were gone fairly early on. Yes. You know. So uh, the ones who actually know the music uh, are, are fairly open to you know, honest, you know, honest yeah. innovations and, and variations, you know, and it wouldn't bother them in the least that a banjo player was playing the melody, it would be, yeah. oh, wow, look, the banjo player is playing the melody. Yeah. Um, but somebody in England yes. or Australia who's into the music, they know for sure that the banjo player is not supposed to yeah. play the music. <laughs> or, or, or they know exactly what, yeah. the, you know, and, and, and they will tell you. That, um, so, you know, it... it, it I think it's it's some it's human nature. Yeah, maybe it's an attitude of like if you're raised around it and it's in yeah. your DNA, yeah. you already feel like you understand it, right? And you don't have to worry about whether it gets preserved or not because it's already in you. Yeah, you don't have to work to preserve it. Whereas, yeah. where if you know a little, then innovation is a threat. Right. I uh, some of the uh, probably most like recreationist players that I've met have been um, Japanese men. <laughs> um, and they do it beautifully yeah. and it's just like just perfect you know but it's uh, yeah it's their goal is to and I and I think it's cool um, it's like their goal is to I want to learn how to do this very specific thing and uh, some sometimes the outsiders you know because I'm an outsider to the tradition too but I try to have like a, a posture of I don't really know what I'm doing I'm here to learn I want to do what makes sense to me I don't want to have my own folk process on the banjo but I also don't want to make anybody mad. <laughs> I don't know why I chose to play the banjo, if that's the case. Shall we get to C? You're yeah. probably already in C, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. So this, we're going to do a waltz for you. And, and uh, I got this one from Alan Jabour, who got it from Henry Reed. And uh, in Henry Reed's community, the, the tune had no name, but it was often... Um, it was often uh, referred to with the name of the person who kept asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> so it became 
known as Grover Jones Waltz. Now, an interesting thing about Grover Jones, uh, it's kind of like, uh, his story is a little bit like uh, Jed Clampett, because he, he was out one day playing horseshoes, and his, his, one of his horseshoes landed near a shiny pebble. And years after he died, they found out that shiny pebble was the, the largest alluvial diamond ever found in North America. And you can go on the net and type in Grover Jones Diamond and it'll come up. <laughs> Not the diamond, but the story about yeah. it. <laughs> Just want to be clear about that.
good banjo waltz. You yeah. don't hear a lot of banjo waltzes. Yeah. <laughs> Grover Jones waltz. So um, we have one tune left before the official end of the interview, and then because you all are here, you get to hear the exclusive bonus track. <laughs> Usually only available to supporters of Get Up In The Cold. You get a little taste, and it's a really cool tune. But before then, tell us where can we find your CDs or downloads or see you play? Where do we go? Okay. Plug in time. Thank you. Well, uh, uh, as it happens, I just uh, put out a brand new CD like two weeks ago, and it's called Frails and Frolics. And its main focus is uh, music that I collected on Prince Edward Island in Eastern Canada. But uh, there's also a couple of other tunes on there, like uh, Dallas Rag and the next tune that we're going to play, which is, uh, well, we'll introduce it in a minute. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I have a bunch of other CDs, and uh, CD Baby has my new recording and one other recording, and uh, all this stuff. You can go to my website, kenproblem.com. Elderly Instruments has them. I guess they call it Side Street. Um, and uh, I also uh, uh, have a bunch of instruction books on the market that you, uh, if you're a banjo player, you might be interested in. So those are Center Stream and Mel Bay. And, Some of the shapes yeah. for a melodic clawhammer banjo, it makes sense to see them written down first, to like know how to get to them. Because it's like, how do you do this with the clawhammer technique? And Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely so. right. Yeah, because it, it has to be... You have to, uh, it has to come out a certain way for the phrasing to, to work. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and also, uh, well, as we'll see in this second half of the set, I'll, I'll do some uh, more of the Prince Edward Island material. And I have a, a book of tunes and, uh, and a, a book, a set of a folklore type book called Couldn't Have a Wedding Without the Fiddler, which just came out. So there's a lot of stuff out there, and uh, I should mention my banjo camps. Um, there's, uh, uh, so uh, come to uh, Swanee Banjo Camp, that's uh, March 22nd to 25th, and uh, Midwest Florida? in Florida, thank you. <laughs> that's my wife, Andrea. So, so uh, uh, that's Live Oak, Florida, and then uh, in June we have uh, Midwest Banjo Camp, that's the first, uh, this year it'll be uh, second weekend of June, 7 to 10. And uh, then we have American Banjo Camp uh, not far from Seattle in September. So you, all, you can find out about these things on my website or just go to MidwestBanjoCamp.com, SwaneeBanjoCamp.com. Swanee is with S-U-W and AmericanBanjoCamp.com. So all those good things. Everyone should go to... Even if you're not a banjo player, you should go to a banjo camp at least once. It's like an experience to be around like a hundred banjo players. You know? That's right. And we always have uh, fiddle and guitar programs yes. too. So, so something for everybody. Let me check my tuning real quick. So we're going to play... Uh, uh, this, is, this, this one is on my uh, recording. It's sort of an uh, outlier. And it's the Tennessee Mountain Fox Chase. And uh, it was uh, first, record first recorded in the 30s, and uh, a band that only recorded one, 178, this was the flip side. 
And it was, uh, I think, Vance's Tennessee Breakdowners who recorded the recording. And for some reason, that caught the fancy of the, a lot of people in the folk scene. So yeah. it's a cool tune. Ready? Thank you so much for being on the oh, show, Ken. Hey, my yeah. pleasure. This is yeah. great. It's, yeah, me too. It's <laughs> <This is> awesome. <laughs> it's a treat. Yeah. should order a copy of Frails and Frolics. You can grab that at kenperlman.com or find it on CD Baby. And there's lots of other great stuff on Ken's website, like info on his music camps, instructional books, more CDs, and his work on the fiddling of Prince Edward Island, uh, including his new book, Couldn't Have a Wedding Without the Fiddler. So go get that music and go get that knowledge. Make sure to like Hamlin Street Diner on Facebook and go to all their shows. They're seriously some of the best curators of traditional music right now. So if you're in the D.C. area or going through town, make sure to look up their concert schedule. Thanks again, guys. If you want to hear this week's bonus track, Ken and I playing Jerusalem Ridge, that's one of the many rewards offered on Get Up in the Cool's Patreon page. Just go to CameronDubit.com and click the Patreon button. Then choose a level of support that works for you. Rewards range from 
on-air shout-outs to online banjo workshops. Special thanks to my newest Patreon supporter, Scott Killips, who signed up to get access to the ever-expanding Get Up in the Cool Tune Archive. A handful of people have signed up for this, and I'm often surprised that more haven't. There's like 25 hours of music in there, and it grows at a rate of over an hour a month. And honestly, I'm not sure how long I'm going to offer the entire back catalog at this price, because it's such a good deal now that it's it's getting silly. So uh, now's a great time to hop on board. But Scott, it was so lovely to meet you at the Portland Old Time Gathering, and I'm really looking forward to getting more tunes with you this summer at all the Pacific Northwest festivals. Thanks so much for supporting the show. That's about it for now. You can find links to everything I mentioned in the show notes on your podcatching device or on Get Up In The Cool's Facebook page and Facebook group, which you should like and request to join, respectively. Uh, don't go yet, because after I sign off, I'm going to play a track off Ken's new album, Frails and Frolics. It's a medley featuring the tunes Omar Chevery's Jig, Fig for a Kiss, and Hector McDonald's Jig, and you really need to hear it. It's very good and very impressive. Uh, I feel like I need to go practice. <laughs> Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. Thank you.